0: In this edition of the podcast, art direction, animation, performance, and soundtrack production come together at the Australian National Maritime Museum's Shipwreck Odyssey. Created by the production team at Box of Birds, artistic director David Clarkson speaks about the depth of work, the challenge of focusing and balancing messaging, entertainment, and artistic merit against the extensive use of technology within the piece. I'm Tim Stackpole. And this is Inside the Gallery. Thanks for downloading the podcast for this first edition of our fifth season. Five years, quite incredible. And as always, let's begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land upon which this podcast is produced and downloaded. And of course, recognising those elders past, present and emerging. Don't forget a transcript of this interview is available in the description of this episode at our website, www.insidethegallery.com.au. And that's with thanks to the support from the Australian Arts Channel, which you can view for free at www.australianartschannel.com.au. The Lighthouse Gallery at the Australian National Maritime Museum is currently transformed into a wonderland of projection and light showcasing the beauty of our oceans for the presentation called Shipwreck Odyssey. Two large-scale walls are illuminated with spectacular interactive projections that create a large immersive play space. The venue is fitted out with state-of-the-art projection and tracking technology as well that allows for individual interaction with the uniquely developed aquatic imagery. The show only runs until the end of January and you can learn more about it by visiting the museum's website. At www.c.museum. that's cse the presentation is the work of box of birds a collective of artists technologists and organizations who work together to create digital play spaces the artistic director of shipwreck odyssey is david clarkson He's a director, producer, mentor, leader and innovator. Perhaps you might know his work as the co-founder of physical theatre company Stalker in 1985. His works have toured over 30 countries globally and have been seen by hundreds of thousands of people. and varies between solo performances, professional ensemble work, large and small scale community outreach projects and of course Olympic opening ceremonies. I caught up with David in the Members' Lounge at the Australian National Maritime Museum and asked him first of all about how this show first came together.
1: When we first started conceiving Shipwreck Odyssey, we wanted to make a piece about the oceans and one of the driving factors for me was, uh, I guess, the environmental concerns of what's happening around the world with many issues to do with the seas, with plastic pollution, with uh, global warming. But we wanted to tell the story in a way that wasn't didactic, that wasn't kind of preaching to people, and was inspiring them with the love of our natural environment. So we crafted a piece to tell a story of a shipwreck uh, in the 1850s, so a kind of old story of um, the Jenny Lind. Now, we came across the Jenny Lind, a very interesting ship, because... So many sea stories are a bit gruesome, really, and there's deaths. But with the Jenny Lind, uh, she crashed on the Great Barrier Reef and no lives were lost and everyone stayed uh, on a nearby coral quay and then managed to get themselves off and sail to Brisbane with no loss of life. So it's quite a positive story, which we wanted to kind of tell, in, but it's still a shipwreck. And because this show is aimed at children, we wanted to create, a, I guess, a, a lighter environment for the tale. But then also that it is happening on the Great Barrier Reef, which is of course one of Australia's iconic places. That is, of course, currently under threat with um, coral bleaching. And so we we made a story of the magical figurehead coming to life, falling deep under the ocean to the ocean trenches, and then emerging. And as she emerges, she realizes the wonders and beauties of the seas. She then finally journeys back to the coral reef and and observes the wonders of the coral reef and then also witnesses its bleaching. And so then there is a call to action and we have uh, one of the things that Box of Birds has developed over the last several years is an interactive system. So you can make oceans move or you can make butterflies come to your hand um, with uh, triggering interactive technology. Um, and so during the work, we invite the audience up. They change the colour of the ocean from red to green. <laughs> so they have symbolically cooled the ocean. And then that is more or less the end of the show. Jenny Lynn then sails off but then the audience is invited back to play in the space so they can make the corals bloom, they can make the, um, the water bubbles appear, they can make the phosphorescence twinkle. It's a theatre show for half an hour and at the end it's an interactive play space for the general public to play in.
0: It's very impressive. These screens are, what, something like 15 metres long or so? Yes. And, what, three metres high? Would uh,
1: five metres high.
0: Wow, incredible. And there is that performance space uh, in front. But this technology you're also talking about, which is interactive, the audience, after the performance, can actually move forward towards the screens, yes. interact with that, and as you say... Change various elements of what's being projected.
1: Yes, and that and that's so we combine a, a thing called Unreal Engine with interactive te- tracking technology that uh, uses infrared tracking, and really the aim of it. And um, you know, I've got young kids. Really, the aim of it is to create a magical play space. What I like about this technology, it it takes audiences away from being passive observers to actually being able to engage. So as a theatre practitioner, I I believe kind of theatre is for everyone. (laughs) And these new technologies have created play possibilities that take you off the screen, the computer screen, and allow you to physically play. You can run, you can make oceans Ocean waves roll, and yeah, I think it's a great way to get people moving and not just touch um, screens with their fingers. As an art practitioner, of course,
0: this opens up an enormous opportunity and and potential for, as you say, greater interaction with the audience. Does the technology, however, detract in a way from messaging? I'm I'm speaking generally, of course. I mean, you you really are embracing the opportunity. That the technology brings to tell the story. But does that also become a hindrance? Do you have to also consider what the technology perhaps can't achieve for you?
1: One of the things I say with I often use when I with the use of technology is is not to lose the human to the pixel. So my my job as the director is to make the humanity come through. So the technology doesn't dominate it. It helps tell the story. It doesn't become the story. It's always a bit of a fine balance, but I think with so much virtual reality and augmented reality becoming more and more prevalent, I think as a theatre artist, I tell stories, particularly with the human body. And so I think the technologies need that understanding because what it gives you is... it in enables you to transcend the technology or implement or incorporate the technology and not be dominated by it. So yes, I'm constantly on on guard for that and it is what one of the biggest challenges, but it's it's one I'm happy to embrace.
0: You discover a new technology or you're presented with a with a presentation which is astonishing in what it can achieve, and then how does your mind work? Do you think how can I incorporate that into my next show or do you conceptualize the project and then seek out the technology to make it work
1: this journey with technology for me i guess has been about the last 12 years and i started working quite closely with the university of technology in sydney with um, creativity and cognition studios and now with animal logic really it's been a progression so it's like any form like we used to do um a lot of with um, Stalker Theatre, which um, Box of Birds has emerged from. We used to do a lot of stilt acrobatics that then kind of morphed into aerial acrobatics. You kind of develop a form and you slowly, progressively develop it. You've got to be willing to put in in the years, really, to get the results. So it's not so much a gratuitous one-off, Okay, let's try that, I'll move on to the next thing, but it's actually a platform that you would evolve and, st- and steadily develop over, over many years. And I think that's the way you make real progress. I mean, we were lucky enough to be supported by Epic Games recently. And I think the reason they supported us is because they could see the body of work and the through line that was really looking at incorporating recent technology with meaningful storytelling with a, a wider public engagement. And, and that's really what I'm after.
0: An incredible journey. On Inside the Gallery, we often talk to curators and directors about how they've come to the point that they're at now, with a particular exhibition. So in terms of this work, it was commissioned how long ago? How long did it take to do the development? You had to write, you had to create the animations, as you say. I mean, you talked about epic games. I mean, it really is an an epic journey that you've undertaken.
1: So with this work, I mean, every work has its own story. This, we were approached by the Australian Maritime Museum, and particularly they said, well, we would like a work for the beginning of 2023. We have a shipwreck exhibition on then, so we'd, you know, so they, in, in many ways, gave us the terms of the story. And then it was up to me to assemble the team uh, so I reached out to a writer, Genevieve Chang, who I am friends with. Boris Bagatini's been working with us closely for many years now, a great animator. Really, it was Genevieve Chang, Boris, uh, Margie Breen, who's a dramaturg with us, and myself, we sat around uh, the Marrickville Library, actually, <laughs> and and brainstormed uh, a couple of times and really started to go, OK, w- what are the shipwrecks in Australia? We, we, z- we zoned in on the Jenny Lind pretty fast because the G- Jenny Lind, of course, she was a famous opera singer, very theatrical, great ship, great theatrical references, great possibilities to animate a character. Um, we could bring in song. I started thinking about uh, the performers who have worked with us, who would be the right storyteller. And so in in many ways, the development of the work, you know, the budgets aren't huge, so the development was really only a couple of months, but a lot of, you know, a year's thought and planning into who is the team and, and just gradually massaging through all the ingredients.
0: You have a lot of boxes to tick in putting a show together like this. Performance, engagement education as well. Do you have to fight within yourself to make sure you maintain that balance?
1: It's it's a combination whenever you make a work between, I guess, rational thought and um, improvisation or emergent planning. I'm always a bit of an emergent planner. Like if I see a set of ingredients, I'm very good at going, yes, that one, yes, that one, not that one. And, and, and so I don't Every director, I think, works differently. I work quite openly and, you know, it's really... I have a fantastic team and a lot of what I generate is goodwill amongst the company and I think that from that goodwill comes creativity. Like, creativity needs good soil and that good soil is often about human relationship and and freedom of expression. So I try to encourage my team to bring out the best for their own pleasure and for everyone's pleasure, hopefully.
0: There's always the point in every production, every exhibition, where perhaps the curator or the director hasn't got all the components in place that they would like to have, and therefore has to make compromise. The audience doesn't miss what they don't see or what they don't know, not particularly with this production, but how often does that compromise cross your desk?
1: Well, I think particularly what we're dealing with is a post-COVID environment and What that means, particularly with freelance artists, is many artists have either, or some artists have left the sector, or it was very hard for me to hold a team together for two years when there was no work, or very little work. And particularly in the sector at the moment, the biggest loss has been around technicians. Many technicians have left or they've moved to film because it's more reliable. So I think the biggest challenge... For this show and for the last year has been actually in building teams particularly for me technically this has been a very challenge you know i i understand i am not a technician but i understand the techni- the technical elements of shows very well and it, yeah that has been that's been the particular challenge at the moment we are creating in very unusual times <laughs>
0: It's a story that we're hearing everywhere, and it actually doesn't matter which industry or sector you're in, but the theatre particularly is, uh, and the arts, is particularly disadvantaged because of the last two years, how difficult it has been. And we've seen so many people, as you say, leave the sector, which has meant it's tough to stage anything. It's tough to actually achieve the work that you want to achieve. Do you think that's going to change?
1: I mean, I've given up trying to predict the future. <laughs> I think, as many of us have, it's it, we live in uncertain times. You can either embrace the uncertainty. Uh, it's at times it's hard not to get depressed about it. I, I feel. I mean, I, I've been lucky in my career that I've I've had a lot of a lot of time in Europe, uh, in 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 Latin America, all through Asia. So I've, I've, I've been part of a lot of different creative uh, environments and, and every culture has its own response to art. There are some real strengths about Australia and there is also some weaknesses about how it responds to um, culture. So God only knows where we're heading I always like, you know, I've got young kids. I like to live in hope. And you roll with the punches. Talk to me in a year's time and we'll see. You know, there's been some great things happen for me in the last couple of years. It hasn't been all bad by any means, and I think for many people. But, yes, there are some real challenges for artists at the moment.
0: Coming back to this show... At its very basic level, we could say it's a big screen show. And Australia has been subject to quite a few of these uh, over the last 18 months even. Does this represent a level of competition that you have to be wary of when putting shows together?
1: Well, it's interesting. So I first started conceiving these immersive works, whether they're 360 or 180 degree, probably about 10, 12 years ago. Like, I think we were ahead of the curve What's hard to do for what are called the small to medium sector is it's hard to raise the cash to put on the big visions. And it's really the commercial works that can come in and in some ways capture the market. Is it the competition? I I think it's just all part of a spectrum, really. And if you worry too much about the commercial competition, especially in the small to medium sector, you never get anywhere. You know... We had this huge non-disclosure agreement with a company in China, like a 500 million dollar contract didn't, didn't come to pass. It, it's interesting, the commercial realities of, of this kind of immersive work. I think I've realised we just do what we do and we have great partners and you steam ahead.
0: It's a big show. It takes a big space. Is this something that could perhaps tour to other museums, or will this be exclusive to the Australian National Maritime Museum?
1: I mean, most of our works tour quite widely, particularly uh, more recently to Asia and uh, Latin America, but we often tour to Europe. Often you don't really know till a work is made, and then we'll put it out there. Um, It will probably tour. We made a Piece for the Air Force last year, unusually for us, um, called Space Play. That's toured a little bit. But our show Mountain, which we made about four, three years ago, that's toured to Latin America and Asia and around Australia. We go to Auckland in a few weeks with that. So, yeah, I, th- I think the, the work will tour and it'll probably go to museums or it'll go to arts festivals. It's
0: a very specific Australian work, though. Does that make it difficult to transpose into other locations?
1: I think the world has an interest in the Great Barrier Reef, both because it is one of the natural wonders of the world and also because it is threatened. I think the only thing that will probably inhibit it touring will be some language issues. We can, we can work with those languages. I think it's a kind of fairly global tale we've made in an Australian context, dealing with Australian iconic images but I would hope, I would hope it's a global work we've made.
0: The graphics and the imagery used in the works are spectacular and in some ways quite frightening. Considering your audience, and it is a family audience, does this come into play at all when you're thinking about these? I mean, these are, these are monstrous, some of the images that you've got on screen.
1: Having kids myself, I think kids love to be moderately terrified. <laughs> um, as long as you know, there's no graphic violence. I mean, God, I just went and saw Avatar the other day, which, you know, is fantastic, but, you know, so much use of machine gun violence. I actually think that is worse then to have a good shipwreck and, and hear a mast crack and get scared by it, I think that's all part of the fun. And then, and then you know, five minutes later, you're surrounded by the beauty of the ocean. And I guess once we've run it a few times with an audience, we'll find out if we've gone too far. I'd be surprised if we have. Uh, we might need to tone down probably even just the volume of some of the ship crash noises
0: <laughs> it is, it's it's it incredibly immersive actually to, to be in there when all this happens the uh, surround sound I'm guessing is is part of the production as well I don't know whether it's 5.1 or 7.1 or or indeed it's It's customised.
1: It's really, so James Brown is the composer and also the sound designer. He's done a fantastic job with a relatively limited budget. And every time I hear it, the sound gets better. The contrast you talked about with the beauty of the ocean, I mean, that that truly is
0: there. The, The shipwreck scenes are very dramatic, very dark, thunder and lightning, all of that there. But the oceanography is just beautiful and superb. Animated, of course, but so realistic. in his presentation, but beautiful. It's it's a great emotional release to see that.
1: So Boris Bagatini, who is the animator, has done many, many dives. Uh, He loves the ocean, so I think it came pretty naturally to him. He was Ridley Scott's lead live animator for Alien. Like, he works at a very high professional level. His love of the ocean has come through. And then we have made the shift over recently with animation to work with Unreal Engine, which has given it that very realistic look. I mean, it's incredible what is possible these days with animation. You feel as though you are swimming beneath the oceans, seeing those marvels. Absolutely outstanding animation, absolutely.
0: I'm kind of in awe of the names you're rattling off here. It's, It's almost as if you went about this saying, I want to get the best people to do this, not just the best people available to do this.
1: I think that as much as, you know, Sydney is small in some ways and I've been in the industry a while and you get to know some great creative people and it's an absolute pleasure to work with them.
0: We're here at the behest of the Australian National Maritime Museum and thank you so much for the invitation to come out and have this chat. But in terms of what you're working on, what can we expect from you guys going forward?
1: The most recent stuff we're playing around with is augmented reality. So we're working with kind of like glasses you put on and you can have someone on the other side of the world and yourself there. And uh, we're playing around with, uh, so you can dance with a virtual partner or the audience can put it on and you can have people beam in from anywhere in the world and be present in the room and create a theatrical or a dance event. So augmented reality is is, is kind of our, our next playscape. But also at the same time, I'm interested in... Like this work we're doing at the moment, I guess, is in 180, but working in large dome structures to create 360 degree works with either 2D or 3D projection is is kind of what we're playing around with as well.
0: We're digressing a little bit here, but I'm kind of interested in just following the line of you talking about using virtual reality work, which is single individuals wearing visors, which is a very personal one-on-one experience. At the other end of the scale, you've got these huge dome-like presentations too. Yes. This is such a huge contrast.
1: Yeah, well, where I'm where I'm particularly interested is where you take that virtual reality experience of the single user and you make it a participatory event. And I think when you make it a participatory event, it takes you out of that isolation that is so as often associated with screen and takes it into a shared communal space, which I think is where humans are at their strongest. We are a communal animal. We need each other. Uh, we thrive on play. It's where our best thinking comes from. And so as a theatre artist, what I'm really trying to do with these technologies is take them away from the single user into a group physicalized experience that's that's really what i would like like to do with my craft
0: that's david clarks an artistic director with boxer birds the artist behind shipwreck odyssey currently underway at the australian national maritime museum you can catch it until january 26 so make plans if you are in sydney or heading that way to get along and see it It's quite remarkable on a number of levels, truly world-class. For more info and tickets, visit www.sea.museum for all the details. And as always, there's also plenty more to see as well in the various galleries at the Australian National Maritime Museum. That is the podcast for now. Don't forget, thanks to the Australian Arts Channel, transcripts of all our episodes are available for download at www.insidethegallery.com.au. And there, there are also links to our Facebook and Instagram pages, and there's a link there too to sign up for our newsletter, which only ever alerts you to any new episodes. I'm Tim Stackpole. Until the next edition, bye-bye for now.